Business Minds, presented by the Business Journals of Florida, and brought to you by Tico People's Gas, at the heart of Florida's energy. In this episode, Tampa Bay Business Journal editor Alexis Milner gets an economic checkup from Bemetra Simmons, president and CEO of the Tampa Bay Partnership. Bemetra, welcome to the Florida Business Minds podcast. It's so great to have you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to be here. I'm really looking forward to us digging into the regional competitiveness report and your focus areas uh, now at the Tampa Bay Partnership. But for context, I think it may be helpful for our Florida Business Minds listeners statewide, as there may be listeners who aren't familiar with the partnership, just for starters to give a sort of a high level overview of what your business advocacy organization is. Yes. So thank you so much. So the Tampa Bay Partnership is a coalition of regional business and not-for-profit leaders. So we represent the eight-county Tampa Bay region. So everything from Citrus County all the way down to Sarasota County. And uh, what we do is uh, the cornerstone of our work is our regional competitiveness report, which is an annual scorecard essentially that measures Tampa Bay against 19 peer and aspirational markets. So how is Tampa Bay doing against Austin or Minneapolis, St. Paul, et cetera? And we look at that over 60 different indicators, everything from economic vitality to transportation to educational attainment to civic quality. And that competitive support is just incredibly valuable. What an incredible body of work it is. You are in that drilling down into areas like economic vitality, innovation, infrastructure, talent, and civic quality and outcomes. I mean, I've just named them all. It's really been evolving over time. I mean, this is an area which really does expose potential weaknesses. And, you know, one of the things that I've really thought the partnership has done so well is to really keep it real here. I mean, to understand that through opportunity, you got to understand where you got work to do. You know, first of all, we can't do this great work without our collaborating partners. You know, we put this report out in collaboration with United Way Suncoast and the Community Foundation Tampa Bay. And I don't really think of it so much of exposing our weaknesses, but more or less like, say, a truthful story, as you said, of of how we're doing. I think any time that you're measuring something, whether it's keeping score in a sporting event or keeping score through revenue and profit and loss in business, you have to know where you are and how you're performing so you know what to work on. So like anything, there are some things that our region is doing exceptionally well, and there are some areas where we have some room for improvement, where we need to rally as a community and work together to get better. Sure, and this has been happening now for several years. So you've got a body of data that you're building on. And I think that in the last year or so, I mean, we've got the pandemic and some circumstances that have, you know, none of us necessarily saw, which affected broader economic, you know, shifts. But generally, I think we are moving in the right direction. I tend to be an optimist. And I I think that you guys have been talking about that the needle is moving in some really key areas where we have struggled. And maybe we can drill down into some of those. Uh, Did you want to start with the good? Is that what I heard you say, Alexis? Yeah, let's start with the good. Let's start with the good. I like it. Yes, sir. Me too. I always like starting with the good. And I also see myself as an optimist as well. I would say a a couple things. One is the news is out. The word is out that Tampa Bay is a wonderful place to live. Out of the 19 markets that we compare ourselves against, we are number one in net in migration. 
And so, you know, not only is the state of Florida growing at a significant rate, but our region in Tampa Bay is growing at a significant rate. We also, the region shows a, a lot of positivity of being a great place to start a business, a great place to grow a business. We saw some significant improvement in some of our high school graduation rates, both for traditional students, as well as for economically disadvantaged students. We saw improvement in a number of category. We did see some improvement in wages. Uh, we, we've seen some improvement in several categories. The flip side of some of that growth has uh, created some affordability issues for us. So, uh, so we've been doing this report for six years. And when we started this report six years ago, when we were measuring growth in home sales prices, we saw that as an asset, as a positive. And it is when you're growing at two, 3% a year, when you're growing at 26% year over year, is not so much not necessarily a good news because if your wages are not growing at that same run rate. So our average home sales price as of December of 2022 was about $378,000. To give you some context, that's up $100,000 from February of 2020, just before the pandemic started. And our wages went up about $4,000 at an average wage of a little over $57,000. So we definitely have some work to do from an affordability standpoint. Also, 10 of the indicators that we track are surrounded around transportation and infrastructure. And unfortunately, seven out of those 10, we're in the bottom quartile, whether that is the average commute time, whether that is how frequent our transit runs, the availability of our transit options, and then last but not least, how we're doing from a walkability and a pedestrian standpoint. So just to give it an Fisher-Price perspective, like I like to do called Fisher-Price Finance, uh, Alexis will call this Fisher-Price data. In our community right now, residents, for every dollar that they earn, residents are spending 54 cents of that dollar on housing and transportation costs alone and they haven't taken a single bite of food. So we've got we got some work to go there. Yeah, it's a remarkable shift that's happened over the years here. And I know you know this since you've been in this community a long time, is this uh, notion that we used to be affordable. And uh, now, so, you know, when you look at some of the metrics that you've just described, that's hardly the case. It's a tough issue, but it's indicative of growth, which is so positive for so much of the business development world. So one of the things I think might be helpful is given that this is uh, does have some statewide exposure and we're going beyond our region is is to compare ourselves sort of to other Florida markets because Orlando, Jacksonville, Miami also are several of the cities that you are looking at. While we track with several of those, I know that, for example, we outperform industry GRP growth rate in some areas, Trail Orlando and Jacksonville, maybe in some of that, but we underperform in things like patents for 10,000 residents where Miami and Orlando do better. When you think about us compared to the rest of the state, what is there to learn around the research that you're doing about how we track with other parts of the state and what other areas of the state might work with us on to lift all our boats? Sure. For the benefit of the listeners, the other three markets that we compare ourselves against here in Florida are Jacksonville, South Florida, and Orlando. South Florida and Jacksonville are showing uh, some really nice performance as it relates to our early learning and kindergarten readiness numbers. Pinellas County for us here in Tampa Bay is our county that's doing the best. They're at about 59% of their students are ready for kindergarten. In our region alone, we're a little less than 50%, so not where we want to be at all. 
And then South Florida is north of 60% in terms of students being ready for kindergarten. Orlando, for example, is the number one in the competitive 20 market set as it relates to certificates and certifications. So there's a lot we can learn from them from a workforce perspective in terms of certificates that they're getting for their workers, how that's translating to additional jobs, what's that's doing for skilled labor. And so those are the types of things of why the report is really helpful because we can get with our counterparts around the state and see what they're doing and learn some of those best practices that we might be able to implement here in Tampa Bay. That's a real benefit too. And as we think about these numbers, they are just numbers on a page until you start to activate, right? So I imagine what you just described in terms of best practices and working you know, with our counterparts around Florida. What are some examples of that that have come out of this research is there anything you can share that demonstrates sort of how these numbers are turning into action uh, in terms of sharing notes and best practices? Well, I would say, you know, I've been in the role for about 18 months. And so what we've been doing is we'll take a look at a particular indicator, see what comparison community is number one, and then bring them in to talk with our working groups. That's how we attack this work is we have working groups for each of the areas. So we have a transportation working group. We have an education subcommittee. We have a workforce subcommittee. So we will bring them in to share with us something that they're doing in that particular community. So for example, we have a conversation coming up here in the near future with Jacksonville to talk about their community-wide literacy initiative and how they've worked as a collective community around literacy, whether that is the local municipalities, the not-for-profit community, the business community, all working collectively with getting families books. And it's really a community-wide literacy initiative. So those are the ways that we do it. We bring them in, kind of share those best practices. And and make no mistake, communities bring us in to share our best practices about the things that we're doing well also. So it works both ways. Yeah, it's really additive. I mean, these kinds of initiatives really are, you know, ways to move this proverbial needle in areas where, as we said at the outset, where there's really opportunity to grow. When we talk about some specific things, we know you mentioned obviously a couple of them so far, things like wage growth. For me, as somebody who's been in the community a long time, this has been a long time issue. And when it was, it's been so low and probably demonstrated one of the, for me or one of the regional competitiveness report where it demonstrates that the service sector and the broader economy may not be as diversified as we'd like. Is that movement a sign that our region and when you think about technology and some of the other kinds of emerging business sectors here and statewide, that we are diversifying from some of the base service industries and tourism that have been sort of holding the burden for so long? Sure. When you take a look at average wage, and again, for the good of the listeners, our average wage is a little over $57,000 here in Tampa Bay. The national average is about $68,000. So we're about $11,000 off the national average. To put that in perspective here in Florida, South Florida is about $65,000. And then Jacksonville is just above us at fifty eight. Orlando is just below us. We're at 57,427, they're at 57,412. So this is an area where our state in general is struggling. Obviously we have a lot of service sector jobs in our state. And you know, we're all here, particularly in Tampa Bay, working aggressively and assertively to you know, bring in more uh, industry, higher advanced industry jobs. And I know 
There's a lot of different initiatives that are happening right here in the region to help improve that. But that gives you just some context as to how we're doing. Service sector-wise, we're all kind of hovering right there together. South Florida, a little over 38. Tampa Bay at almost 34. And the U.S. average is right there at 34. But overall average wage, you can see where we stack up. Yeah, such a critical metric and really interesting how closely you're watching it. Another thing mm-hmm. that we've really been interested in, or certainly I have over the recent years, is early childhood education. I know the partnership has been very focused on workforce and early childhood head. What's happening in that sector? Because you just got to get to young people earlier and earlier uh, with a broader vision for that to really, again, make progress on on making sure that the growing businesses we have here are going to have the people to grow them in the future. Mm-hmm. Early childhood education is something that we're watching, you know, very closely. Like I mentioned, our kindergarten readiness scores, we'd like to see those scores obviously improve significantly. Same thing for our third grade reading levels. Again, you know, as a reminder, the reason why we track those two in particular is kindergarten through third grade is when you learn to read. And then beginning in third grade, it's assumed that you know how to read and you're now reading to learn. Right. So they're no longer teaching you to read. So it's very difficult to catch up if you haven't done at that point where we believe the difference maker is is getting additional students enrolled in quality early learning classes. So three and four year olds enrolled in school and then having a really good educators that are working in that space. And right now, wages for our community is a big issue. So as of today, an early learning worker makes between, you know, 13 and 14 dollars an hour whereas a fast food worker may be making $15, $16 an hour. So we've got a mismatch there. We've got to find a way to get their wages up so we have not only more students enrolled, but that they're in quality programs as well. Bamitra Simmons joining us. Next, why she wishes she had pixie dust. When Florida Business Minds continues. People's gas at the heart of Florida's energy committed to being a leader in Florida's economic growth and to delivering clean and efficient natural gas solutions in a responsible way. More at floridasenergy.com. There are probably times where some of these metrics move slower than you'd like. Is there moments of, when we talked earlier about being optimists, right? And are there moments though of, of sort of frustration that things don't move faster? I don't know that I've had a moment of not being frustrated that things don't move faster. I guess I understood that this was not things that were going to move quickly. I wish that we could get the awareness out faster and get everybody to get it faster, if that makes sense. Because these are issues that you really need all hands on deck in the community to be effective. This is not one particular group is going to solve this in a vacuum. And so I wish I had pixie dust to sprinkle on all the stakeholders that we need to get them engaged, to understand the sense of urgency And then more importantly, why we care about how early childhood education affects our apprenticeship age, affects our disconnected youth, affects what our workers are going to look like and the type of jobs that they're going to be ready for and how it all works in concert and how that affects transportation and how that ties in to housing. So it's really more of a, I wish I could clone what the partnership is doing. We have more people to get out and uh, navigators, if you will, to get the message out to everybody that needs to know to help us attack these challenges. 
Well, the Florida Business Minds podcast has not necessarily been labeled pixie dust, but we're doing our part today. <laughs> I love to, it. <laughs> uh, to help with that. I mean, we're not a promotional arm. We're a news organization, as I'm very fond of saying. But I think there's this is what it takes, is some repetition, helping articulate some of these issues and ideas. Let's just move for a minute, because you did mention 18 months. I Soon, over the summer, I think you'll eventually hit two years. It'll October. be two okay. years in October, yeah. Mm-hmm. And when we first met, your banking career was in full stride. Uh, you, you're a banker by trade. That's um, probably still a banker at heart. But how has the transition been like for you to lead this organization, which is probably has some synergies from the things you've done in the past, but also, in some ways, something completely different? So talk a little bit about your own experience. Yeah, I would say overall, I I think it's been a great transition. Obviously, like you said, there are some elements that are similar to the work I was doing before. And there are other things that I have new muscles that I'm flexing that I'd never used before whatsoever. Probably my biggest learning curve has been dealing with the media. I did not have much of that exposure before other than a random interview here and there. It's been a good transition. It's been a welcoming transition meeting with, you know, there's no one I've met with that hasn't been agreeable to, you know, that I've had a chance to sit down and meet with that isn't open to what we're doing and and seeing how we can't collaborate together. So, so far it's been a fun ride. So thank you for asking. Yeah, that's important because this organization has had a long history, some of which has, from my observation, been more successful than others in terms of focus. But you know, you're very clear on your focus areas, being education workforce with emerging in issues like resiliency, the opioid crisis, mm-hmm. racial equity. And so, I mean, I think getting that it down into a sort of a neat, clear focused area means you can make some change because you're not everything to everybody. Sure, sure. I think the focus matters. And it also gives us an opportunity to have an opportunity to measure how successful and effective uh, we're being. That's really critical. Sometimes it's hard to see the forest of the trees. And I hate to use a cliche like that. Your council of governors reads like a who's who of some of the biggest corporate citizens locally. And I forget, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe they pay $50,000 a year annually. That's no small fee. How do you measure their return on investment? We actually have three different investment levels. Uh, 50000 is our council of governors level. We also have a $25,000 leadership council level, and we have a $10,000 premier council level. We have a annual plan that the organization works through and how we want to attack these issues. And it's done in a very methodical way in terms of what do we want to get done in terms of advocacy work? What do we want to get done in terms of amplifying the message? What do we want to get done in terms of research? So it isn't just a uh, zero sum game of did this get done or not get done? Some of this, you definitely have to measure in incremental wins. What kinds of things are you hearing from those, especially the Council of Governors, in terms of what they're looking for from you? And and maybe, I mean, they may, may be very pleased with the sort of focus and, and the priorities that you have. But what are you hearing from them lately in terms of what they want you to focus on? You've mentioned some of the initiatives, obviously, transportation, the talent pipeline, uh, housing affordability. But the biggest thing that the partnership, how we know we're being effective, is how well are we working as a region? Our big thing is, uh, are we convening and activating the region? Our investors are engaged in the partnership essentially because they care about our community. They care about their employees. And we want to make sure that everybody has a, an opportunity to be uplifted and to be economically sound and, and also civically sound. And so I would say that's the way that we're attacking this. The more that we work collectively as a region, the more 
effective the partnership is going to be. And I think the more pleased and satisfied our annual investors will be. Vimitra, it's so great to spend some time with you. Thank you for all these insights. I think as we begin to wind down, I, I want to make sure that we touch on a forward look around some of the issues that you may be focusing on, especially when you talk about some of the emerging issues like resiliency. What are your plans or what are some things that people may not know about the partnership that folks around the state would be interested in knowing in terms of where you're looking to continue to push the quality of life in Florida for the business community and its people? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. It's been great chatting with you this afternoon. It's been a lot of fun. But I would say resiliency is definitely an emerging issue. It's something that every community in Florida just about is affected by. And uh, we were fortunate enough to receive a grant from J.P. Morgan Chase that allowed us to put together what we call the business case for resiliency. And then the Tampa Bay Regional Planning Council had their big resiliency conference. We were able to unveil, unveil that report. Uh, last spring during that conference, which really gave us an opportunity to share that information with folks who care about this from many, many parts of our community. So that was awesome. And it had, you know, some specifics in there about, you know, different things that not only the business community could do, but also that the local governments can do and that individuals can do. And so, again, that was called the Economic Case for Resiliency. And uh, we can uh, certainly get the information out to your audiences so they can download that. And then the other piece that we had a chance to do that was, you know, also an emerging issue was the do a research report with the generous support of the Florida Blue Foundation on the economic impact of the opioid crisis, which is also something that is affecting many of us around the state of Florida. We actually spun that work off into its own not-for-profit, which is now Live Tampa Bay. And Jennifer Webb is the executive director of that. And they're doing some really great work around the simple but lofty goal of reducing the number of residents in our community that are affected by the opioid crisis and also reducing stigma around getting help for that crisis. So those are two of the emerging issues that the partnership has been involved in for the last couple of years. Great. Thanks for sharing that. Before we go, I I think it's something that we need to touch on that is important that involves certainly around racial equity and DEI and some of the climate that we're dealing in the state. To the extent that we're talking about education reform and other things, how much are you hearing from your membership and your your council governors or other folks about concerns over a potential chilling effect of some of the challenging issues in the state around those issues specifically? Are there concerns or people expressing concerns about them? So from the partnership's perspective, we want to make sure that Every resident in our community feels supported and has what they need to be successful. And we're going to continue to take a look at all of our work with an equity lens to make sure that all of our residents are being included in the way that we take a look at that work. And so we, you know, take an equity lens for how we're taking a look at transportation, how we're looking at housing affordability, how we're looking at economic vitality, how we're looking at transportation initiatives and offices. Uh, What does one zip code look like versus a different zip code? And what do their commute times look like? So that is the way that we've attacked that. We try to stay focused on what we're doing and be mindful of the things that we can control and work those things from our community to the best of our ability. Sure. That seems like a good approach. I mean, 
In our case, you know, we're about business and not politics necessarily, but sometimes it, it seeps in, especially in the current environment. So uh, I imagine there are concerns as, as we're hearing more about folks that may or may not want to invest in Florida. And those days of the, for the partnership around retention and recruitment, I don't think are the focus these days anymore. Uh, far, far from it. There's a lot more other issues to work on. But to the extent that people will be looking to you for information about this, we want to keep track of how much you know, you're hearing people feeling like there's a changing climate? Well, I think there's no misunderstanding that we have folks have always going to have differing political views, but I don't really have the pulse of the details of what that means for businesses wanting to relocate here. I, I hate to pun on that question, but that's probably a better question for the folks who are leading our economic development organizations. But what we do want to do from the partnerships perspective is make sure that our work is complementary to what they're doing so that when companies do come here, or they do want to expand here, that we've got the right environment and the right infrastructure for them to be successful. Excellent. Well, I think that's also indicative of the fact that the partnerships focus has been very much focused on advocacy and research and providing these benchmarks and factual information that really drive an awareness and understanding for the kinds of information people need to find the resources they need to grow their businesses and, you know, across all these various issues, you know, make this the thriving place that it not only is now, but will continue to be in the future. Absolutely. That's a good spot to stop. Demetra, thank you so much for being a part of the conversation today. It's wonderful to see you. Thank you as well, Alexis. Demetra Simmons joining us. Thank you for downloading Florida Business Minds, presented by the Business Journals of Florida and brought to you by Tico People's Gas at the heart of Florida's energy.